My brother and I put ourselves through college by painting houses in the summer. My wife, future wife at that time, joined us for a summer. One day, I was painting a door at the front of a porch. My brother had taken a ladder and placed it on the roof of the porch so that he could reach the peak of the house. It seemed safe enough, since we only noticed a slight slippage when he stood on it. We thought it would hold his weight. Suddenly, I heard this loud wham, bang, above my head. The ladder came flying out onto the lawn like it had been shot out of a gun. My brother landed on the side of the roof with his feet dangling over the edge. I stepped out to see his face as white as a sheet. The ladder had started slipping, and he was unable to get down before it went out from under him. When you are in a vulnerable situation, a little slippage goes a long way. My friends, watch out for spiritual slippage. We tend to view our poor decisions as little slips or mistakes. It's too bad, no big deal, no harm, no foul. But if we climb that ladder very far, we learn that the little slippage at the bottom becomes a major mess at the top. King David thought that his look at Bathsheba was a minor slip. But his look turned into lust and the ladder came crashing down. Major falls start with little slips. Watch out for spiritual slippage. Unfortunately, spiritual renewal does not necessarily mean that the growth follows a steady upward trajectory. We always have to deal with the little setbacks, the poor choices, the integrity slips in our lives. The key to maintaining spiritual renewal is found in how we handle spiritual slippage. We had best understand the nature of slippage if we are going to watch out for it in our lives and in our churches. So here is the first principle of spiritual slippage. Spiritual slippage begins when leaders manipulate people. Nehemiah 13 verses 4 through 9. Spiritual slippage begins when leaders manipulate people. The narrative breaks between Nehemiah 13 verse 3 and verse 4. There is a significant gap in time between these two verses. Nehemiah was governor of Judah for 12 years from 445 BC until 433 BC. Then he returned to Persia for a period of time. We don't know how long he was away from Jerusalem, but he may have come back to Jerusalem for a second term as governor about eight to ten years later. Nehemiah 13 verse 4 picks up with this second governorship, so there is a time lapse of eight to ten years between verses 3 and 4. Nehemiah was probably about 65 years old by the time of his second governorship. 
While Nehemiah was away for those eight to ten years, some of his old political enemies had manipulated the system for their own personal gain. This was the beginning of the spiritual slippage in the nation. When Leaders care more about their own power and their own wealth than the needs of the people. They begin to manipulate people for material advantage. Eliashib and Tobiah had pulled some strings and were prospering at the expense of the people while misusing the temple resources for themselves. They were manipulators. I want you to notice in verses 4 through 7 that integrity is the answer to manipulation. Now, prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It may seem like a small matter that Tobiah, the Ammonite, should be able to manipulate people to gain an office in the temple. But that is exactly how slippage begins. Look back to Nehemiah 13, verse 1, where we are told that no Ammonite was to be allowed in the assembly of God. Yet, here he is with an office in the temple. Major messes start with little slips. Integrity is the watchguard of values. Integrity requires a persistent guard on our motives, and motives are the key to spiritual failure or success. When our motives slip, then we will sooner or later fail. We should always be asking why we are doing what we do. Why? Watch out for leaders who manipulate others to grow their own power and influence. Here are some steps we can take to guard our integrity. Watch out for personal relationships. Tobiah was related to Eliashib, the high priest. The word can mean to work hand in glove with someone, but it can also mean to be physically related to someone. Whatever the case here, the point is very clear. Watch out for personal relationships, because it is often through our personal relationships that the enemy gains a foothold into our lives. Spiritual slippage can occur when we let our personal relationships cloud our spiritual judgments. Political payoffs are not just a feature of the modern world. We don't know why Eliashib would give Tobiah these rooms, but the personal connections between the two men clouded the issues and made Eliashib bend the rules for his friend. 
And it's the same today. Suppose your boss helped you avoid the last layoff at the company, and you know there's another one coming. You can't afford to be laid off. Then suppose that your boss asks you to tell the CEO of the company that your boss is in a meeting when he is actually taking the day off to play golf. Or maybe he asks you to adjust the books so that he will look better. Telling a white lie for the boss seems like a small matter, but it is wrong. Watch out for spiritual slippage. Your lie may help you keep your job, but at the cost of your integrity. Watch out for spiritual disqualification. In verse 5, the storerooms that are mentioned in verse 5 were apparently in the inner courts of the temple. This would place Tobiah the Ammonite official at the heart of Jerusalem. Here he could influence the political, moral, and religious climate of the nation. The apple had a worm in the middle. Not only was it incredible that one of Nehemiah's greatest political enemies could have such political power within just a few years, but more importantly, he was spiritually unqualified to be in the inner courts of the temple at all. The inner courts of the temple were reserved for those who were spiritually qualified. There's a great picture of this in the book of Zechariah, when Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord in the temple, and God says to him in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. If, if. We must always check the character of people before installing them as leaders, or else we will begin sliding down the slippery slope just like Israel. As the saying goes, character is destiny. The character of a leader tells us where he or she will lead us. This is certainly true politically in a nation, but it is even more true spiritually in the church. I took a course on worship many years ago now. The man who was teaching the course was the pastor of worship at a mega church in the Midwest. He told us that he applies this principle to the singers and musicians in the church. He said, it's remarkable how many people do not connect singing in the church with what they do outside of church. A man came to him interested in joining the choir. In the interview process, he asked the man what he did for work. The man said that he was a dancer. Thinking that maybe he did folk dancing, he asked him where he performed. The man named a bar in the city which was well known as a male strip club. It turned out that the man was a male stripper who made good money at it and could see no reason why that disqualified him from singing in the church choir. 
Third, watch out for political expediency in verses 6 and 7. Watch out for political expediency. Nehemiah had been away from Jerusalem for 8 to 10 years, and during that time his political enemies had infiltrated the highest echelons of the government. Tobiah had wormed his way through political expediency into a position of great power and influence. Expediency is the foothold of evil. In expediency, the end justifies the means. Expediency cares only about the result and not the process, and certainly not truth. Truth is the first casualty of political expediency. It does not matter if you lie, cheat, or act immorally. As long as you get what you want, as long as you win, that's political expediency. My friends, beware of any alliances that come out of political expediency instead of truth and honesty and integrity. Integrity is the answer to expediency. Integrity is how we live even if we lose. It stands up against peer pressure and social manipulation. Integrity is what we do when no one is looking. It is what we do when there is no one to check up on us, no one breathing down our necks. Expediency is what we watch on television when no one else is around. It is what we read in the airport of a faraway city where no one knows us. You see, what we do in private determines what we are in public. How we handle the little tests is how we handle the big tests. If we are willing to cut corners and take advantage of others in the little private matters of life, then we will do so in the big stuff too. Patrick Morley, in his best-selling book, The Man in the Mirror, tells about watching a man sitting next to him on a plane. The man ordered a drink, a bourbon and coke. The busy flight attendant delivered the drink and then said she would be back for his money, so he left it on the tray. She passed by several times, but had obviously forgotten about the money. After she had passed by a half a dozen times, the man picked up his money and put it away. Morley writes, Integrity, what's the price? Sold for a two-dollar drink. That, my friends, is moral slippage. Watch out! If integrity is the answer to manipulation, then in verses 8 through 9, cleansing is the answer to backsliding. Cleansing is the answer to backsliding. It was very displeasing to me, Nehemiah writes, so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the rooms. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I like Nehemiah's response when he arrives on the scene. He was angry, just like Jesus would later be angry when he cleansed the temple in his day. We should get angry about that which violates God and his holiness. 
there is a righteous anger which is appropriate. If we can watch people violate the law of God while staying cool and detached, well, so what? No big deal. Nothing gets me upset anymore. If we can think like that, we are not thinking the mind of Christ. Christ got mad at sin, and so should we. Nehemiah threw out Tobiah, including all of his personal belongings. He cleansed the rooms. This is the same term used back in Nehemiah 12, verse 30, where the priests purified themselves for service to God. Nehemiah fumigated the temple. He exterminated the vermin. Chuck Swindoll says that Nehemiah didn't even want to smell Tobiah around the temple. And we should not even want a sniff of sin around us. That is the answer to spiritual slippage. We need a cleansing. We need a spiritual bath so that we can be clean again. If you are listening and you know that you have slipped away from the Lord, then you need to experience his cleansing. You need a spiritual bath. God can clean you up by his grace, my friends. He can make you pure. He can make you whole again. God can refit you for his service. George MacDonald wrote, Lord, in thy spirit's hurricane I pray, strip my soul naked, dress it then thy way. When you have slid down the slippery slope, your only hope is the cleansing of God's grace. Spiritual slippage begins when leaders manipulate people. And secondly, spiritual slippage spreads when people neglect God. Nehemiah 13, verses 10 to 14. Spiritual slippage spreads when people neglect God. There's a basic principle of human life. When leaders abuse their privilege people lose their incentive. When leaders abuse their privilege, people lose their incentive. I think that principle holds true in business, in government, and definitely in the church. It is true materially, and it is true spiritually. When leaders begin to slip, the people soon begin to neglect their own responsibilities. Neglect starts in the mind. Neglect is first a mental process of degeneration that leads to immoral actions. The answer to spiritual neglect is a spiritual process led by a spiritual leader. This spiritual process is the process of reformation or renewal. Notice the process in these verses. Favoritism produces cynicism, verse 10. Nehemiah writes, I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. Now look back at verse 5. 
The rooms that Tobiah had confiscated for himself were originally set aside to hold the material resources which, with which to pay the Levites and the other worship leaders for their work in the temple. As the people observed the favoritism of the priesthood toward Tobiah, they stopped giving their possessions to support the Levites in ministry. And as the Levites began to struggle financially, they left the ministry to return to their fields so that they could support their families. It is a terrible downward spiral. Furthermore, the last thing that Nehemiah had done when he left eight years earlier was to make sure that the Levites were cared for properly. If you look back to Nehemiah 12, verse 44. And everybody rejoiced at that time over the priests and the Levites and their service to God. Now nobody rejoices. Cynicism reigns. Favoritism produces cynicism. The people become cynical when they see abuses and corruptions in the church, and they stop supporting the church. I think that this is one of the factors affecting church today. Many people are cynical about Christianity because of all the scandals that have plagued the church. People are cynical because the church is increasingly viewed as just another political action committee intent on gaining power and wealth. The result is that our witness for Christ is tainted by the cynicism we encounter all around us. So favoritism produces cynicism, and cynicism requires restoration, verses 11 to 12. So, Nehemiah writes, I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. The Irish poet Oscar Wilde once said that a cynic is a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. These religious leaders had become cynical about their duties. They knew the price of everything, but the value of nothing. The things that God valued, they devalued, and the things that they valued were of little value to God. So Nehemiah rebukes the officials and restores the Levites to their place in the temple. Remember that back in Nehemiah 10, verse 39, all the people had taken a vow not to neglect the house of God. Yet here they were, just a few years later, neglecting the house of God. That is what cynicism does to you. When religious leaders begin to manipulate people and use the church for their own agendas, then people become cynical about their faith. When pastors treat the ministry as just a job, a career, then church becomes routine, dull, and boring. After all, it doesn't really affect my day-to-day -day life, so, so why bother with church at all? Church becomes just another institution without spiritual vitality. 
The result is that people stop valuing the work of God and the fellowship of believers in the church. People find better things to do with their time and energy. The deconstructive church movement today reflects that cynicism about the institutional church. And when that happens, we desperately need spiritual restoration, which leads to the next step in the restoration process. Restoration requires reliability, verse 13. Restoration requires reliability. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. If we are going to restore our faith from cynicism, then it cannot be business as usual in the church. Nehemiah understood that fact. So he performed an organizational house-cleaning. He gets rid of Eliashib's cronies, and he puts four new leaders in charge of the financial resources of the temple. It's interesting that Nehemiah selects one priest, one Levite, one scribe, and one layman. He balanced the leadership so that the people could regain their confidence in the ministry. How we handle money is a critical factor for avoiding cynicism. The world sees dollar signs when it looks at the church. And when money manipulates ministry, the world becomes cynical. An online website called The Wealth Circle did an article on preachers and their money. According to one study, the average megachurch pastor that's a pastor of a church with at least 2,000 people, the average megachurch pastor makes between $100,000 and $140,000 per year. The top 10 highest paid preachers, according to their net worth, are listed. Here are a few on the list. Kenneth Copeland, $300 million. Pat Robertson, $100 million. Joel Osteen, $80 million, Benny Hinn, $60 million, and T.D. Jakes, $20 million. When preachers live in mansions, people become cynical. Money like that breeds cynicism. Notice in Nehemiah 13.13 13, that the single qualification for the selection of religious leaders to handle money was reliability. That's the one thing Nehemiah was looking for. They must be faithful, trustworthy leaders, men of integrity, who can be counted on to handle money properly without lining their own pockets. Notice also that the responsibility of these religious leaders was to distribute the money to the people. 
The test of reliability is critical to restoring faith from cynicism. All too often a church selects leaders who are good businessmen or women, but that by itself is not a good test. Just because someone makes a lot of money is a poor reason to select them for leadership. The real test of spiritual leadership is character. Are they stable, sound, reliable people of God? The final step in the process of restoration is found in verse 14. Reliability desires approval. Verse 14. Reliability desires approval. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Reliable servants of the Lord desire approval, but not human approval. God's approval. The desire for any other form of approval breeds unreliability, not reliability. Big crowds and material prosperity are not the measure of spiritual success. Nehemiah knew that his whole life centered around God. He worked for God's approval and nothing else. Only God's approval matters. All real success is measured by God, not the applause of people. So centering our lives around God is the surest way to avoid spiritual slippage. If we live our lives for human approval, we will become slaves to human expectations. The result will be spiritual failure, because the slope of human approval is very, very slippery. God's approval is the only approval that counts in the end. Spiritual slippage begins when leaders manipulate people and spreads when people neglect God and his work. The truth of the matter is that we all choose to neglect certain things in life in order to pay attention to other matters. We all practice a selective attention, or what psychologists call differentiated attention. We choose to pay attention to what we want to pay attention to in life, whatever is most important to us. Because you can't pay attention to everything. It's impossible. The result, however, is often spiritual slippage as we pay attention to whatever is most important to us. I was watching a YouTube video on landscape photography as I tried to improve my skills as an amateur photographer. Andy Mumford is a professional landscape photographer, and he was teaching about the basic principles of composition. In the middle of the video lecture, he made a statement that was so good I wrote it down. It applies to much more than photography. It applies to life. Andy Mumford said this, In photography, as in life, the most important mathematics is subtraction. Subtract 
all that is distracting and unnecessary until only the essential remains. Subtract all that is distracting and unnecessary until only the essential remains. That is a great reminder for our spiritual lives. We all choose to neglect those things in life that we do not value, and we choose to pay attention to those things in life which we believe to be important. We value. Our choices tell us a great deal about our priorities. It's not what we say, but what we do that matters. Spiritual slippage happens when the distracting and unnecessary aspects of life take over and crowd out the essential. Once slippage happens, we cannot stand the stress tests of life. We must eliminate the distracting to focus on the essential so that our lives remain spiritually strong. When I was working at GTE Sylvania as a mechanic many years ago, the machinery was used to weld three very fine wires together. These welded wires were the filaments which went into light bulbs. Often the wire was only 38 one-thousandths of an inch in di diameter, so these were very, very fine wires. The machine brought the three wires together in a moment of impact and fused or welded them in place. The carbide jaws which held each wire at the moment of impact would gradually wear a groove in the carbide. And when a slight groove developed in the jaws, they would no longer hold the wire tight enough. The wire would slip ever so slightly in those carbide jaws. The result was a weak weld that would easily break. The weld would look good, even through a magnifying glass, but it was weak and wouldn't stand the stress test. Why? Because of the very slightest slippage in those carbide jaws. So I would take those pieces of carbide out of the machine, grind them down until the surface was perfectly flat to hold the wire secure in those jaws. God sometimes has to do the same thing in our lives when our slippage develops. We need some of God's grinding work to restore us spiritually. Where is the slippage in your life? Where is the slippage in your church? That little slippage in our lives now will show up when we face stress. We will break under the pressure. Then we will see the failure that results from the little slippage in our spiritual lives. So my friends, watch out for spiritual slippage.